Hey everyone, welcome to the Sermon Podcast from Mount Hope, Belmont's location, where each week you'll hear a message designed to help you learn more about God, grow in your love for God and others, so you can go and live your life driven by faith. In this series, we will be asking this question, Who is Jesus? Many of times we think that the answer can be found through documentaries, books, or even films. Yet, is that enough? Join us for the next few weeks as we look at Colossians chapter 1 and find out your answer to who Jesus is. And I invite you, if you would, to go ahead and grab a Bible. Maybe you brought one with you, or maybe you want to grab one of the black Bibles that's in the chairs in front of you. We are going to be in Colossians chapter 1 together this morning. And if you're grabbing one of those Bibles underneath the chairs, we're going to be on page 983 together in just a moment. So I invite you to turn there, and then we will read some of those verses in a few minutes. Well, if you've been with us over the past few weeks, you know that we've been involved in this sermon series, Who is Jesus? And we've been looking at a few verses here in Colossians chapter 1. It's important that we get this right. Because if you ask 20 different people on the street who Jesus is, my guess is you're going to get 20 different answers. And sometimes we end up forming our thoughts about people from secondary sources, don't we? You ever thought you knew something about somebody? You thought you knew who who they were and what they were like, and then you actually met them, and they were totally different from what you thought they would be. I think that can happen with the person of Jesus Christ that we watch the Discovery Channel show on who is Jesus, and then we we hear what people say at the university, and then we hear what people say on the street, and we all the while are forming our picture of who Jesus is. And then when we come to the Bible, and we hear what God the Father has to say about who Jesus is, and when we hear what Jesus himself has to say about who he is, we get a completely different picture. And it's important that if we call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, that we get this right that our picture of who Jesus is and why he came to this earth is correct. And so over the last few weeks, we said a few things about Jesus. The first thing we said was that Jesus is God. Jesus is fully God. He's not God light. He's not God 2.0. He's not God junior. He is fully God. He was there at creation. And the second thing we said is that Jesus is the answer to life's biggest questions. We said the questions that we all ask ourselves Where's it all from, and where's it all going, and who's in charge, and what holds it all together? That Jesus is the answer to all of those questions. Last week, if you were with us, we actually went backwards a little bit in our Bibles, way back to 2 Kings, and talked about the phrase that is in Colossians chapter 1, that Jesus is the head of the church. And we said it's so easy to take as we gather in church what should be all about him and make it all about us. And we talked about how when we do that, when we take what should be all about Jesus Christ and make it all about us, we make a big mistake. And so today we wrap up this talk about who Jesus is with one very important aspect of who Jesus is. In fact, this is, this is a life-changing message. Some of you have never heard this message before, and this message has the, the ability to change your life if you listen to God's voice. And some of us, you'll hear this message and you'll say, yes, the first time I heard this message, And I understood what it meant. It radically changed my life. Before we get to all that, I want to tell you a little little story. My parents, when I was a kid, they would, when it was time to go somewhere, 
One of them might say to the other one, as we were getting in the car, don't forget to grab the stroller. And if my dad said that to my mom, perhaps my mom would pick up the stroller and she would put it in the car. There was no conversation. She just got the stroller, put it in the car. Now, when my wife and I have a similar conversation, it goes a little bit differently. If we're getting in the car and Lori says to me, don't forget to grab the stroller. Rather than just grabbing the stroller, I have to ask a question. Do you want to know what question I would have to ask? I have to say, which one? Because when I was a kid, I think we had one umbrella stroller with little tiny plastic wheels, and it didn't matter what the terrain was or how broken up the sidewalk was, that was our stroller. But see, now it's much different. If you go to uh, the baby store and you try to register for a stroller, that is an all-day affair, trust me. And so we have multiple strollers. And I'll tell you, of all the strollers we've ever owned, there is one that really stands out above the rest. It is our favorite stroller. And the reason being, I'll just tell you quickly, I won't go too far into it. The reason this is our favorite stroller is because uh, it's versatile. The kids can be small, the kids can be big. I'm not making money off this stroller, I want you to know this morning. But the kids can be small, they can be big, the wheels are getting to go on the sidewalk or on the grass, and so this is the one. Now here's what happened. A couple of years ago, we took our perfect stroller we went on vacation. And we made a deal with the airline. I said to the airline, I will pay you hundreds of dollars if you will fly us somewhere and take care of our stuff. And the airline said, we'd be glad to do that. And so we paid the airline money, we got on the plane, and we gave them our stuff. And something happened somewhere along the line. We got off the plane, and they gave me back our perfect stroller. And I started to push the stroller through the airport as we were leaving, and it just didn't feel right. And my favorite part of this stroller is that with one handle, you pick it up, and it just closes perfectly. And someone after first service said to me, that's my favorite part of the stroller, too. In fact, multiple times I've gone through a TSA line where you have to fold up a stroller and put it through the x-ray machine, and I would grab the one handle, and I would pick it up, and it would fold together perfect, and I would throw it through, and the TSA agent would say something like, now that is a nice stroller. Say, I know. It's the perfect stroller. So as I was pushing it through the terminal, it just didn't feel right. And then I went to pick up the stroller and put it in the car, and I knew something was wrong. Because this is not how it should look. It should be all the way together. And I had to grab it, and I had to pull it shut. In fact, I can't even get it right now. And I knew something was wrong. And somewhere along the line, the airline had bent the frame of our perfect stroller. So now when you push the stroller, it just goes left. In fact, my son Jackson was pushing the stroller. He said, can I push the stroller as I was bringing it from the car this morning? And I said, sure, and I just laughed as he hit the bushes and straightened it out, hit the bushes and straightened it out, hit the bushes and straightened it out. And the problem is, every time I look at the stroller, it's just not the way it's supposed to be. I know how it's supposed to be, and this is not the way it's supposed to be. And so we haven't used this stroller in years for that reason. It's just not right. It's not perfect. And the only way I know to make it perfect would be to go and buy a new one. I have tried everything I know to bend these plastic and metal pieces back to make it straight. And I can tell you, it ain't working. The only way I know is to have it made new. 
there's something inside of our hearts and in our minds that when you and I look at our world, when you and I look at our world, there's something inside of us that tells us that it's not the way it's supposed to be. It looks right, and there's some, some things about it that are good. There are things about our world that are very good. But you and I know, we look at the world and we see the things around us, and something tells us, it's in our hearts and our minds, we look at it, and we know it's not, it's really not the way it's supposed to be. And we are more aware of this than ever before in our world because we are more connected than ever before in our world. And so we turn on the TV, and across the globe we see pictures of unrest in Hong Kong, or we see, we see a hurricane devastating an island in the Bahamas. And then we come closer to our own home and we see the news stories that happen in our own backyard or in our nation, political unrest and things that are occurring. And then we don't even need to turn on the TV. We just pay attention to our classroom or to our workspace or to our home. Pay attention to your relationship with your children or children, your relationship with your parents, relationships as husband and wife. And we know it just something in our world isn't the way it's supposed to be. We feel like it should be better. And there is no amount of, no, there is a huge amount of effort in our world put into making things better. We feel like if we could just get it all right, if we all worked our hardest together, that we could somehow put it all back together and fix this thing. It's not for lack of effort on our parts, because we try, don't we? We try to fix it. And there's just something that's off, isn't there? There's something that's off between our relationship with us and with the creation around us, between us and the environment. We feel that, and that is a huge topic in our world today. There's something off there. There are things that are off there that are broken between us and other people. The people we, we don't know that well, the people we do know well. And there's things that are off between us honest, God. The question I want to talk about for the next couple of minutes is where does all that come from and what do we do about it? Where does that come from? Because there's something inside of us that wants to fix it all. We want our relationships to be better. We want this world to be a better place. We don't want inequality. We don't want injustice. We don't want an environment that is, that is falling apart. We want things to be better. And so what do we do, or where does this all come from, and what do we do about it? When I was in, in first grade or kindergarten, it's one of my earliest memories. I was at my friend Dennis's house, and Dennis lived right next door to another one of our classmates. His name was Kevin. And Dennis didn't have a fence in his yard between his yard and Kevin's yard, and so we did what everybody did as kids. There was no fence. That meant their backyard was fair game to play in as well. And so if we were playing football or we were playing some sort of game, uh, we would play in Dennis's backyard, but if, it went, if the game extended into Kevin's backyard, that was okay. And I don't know how this happened this particular day. I'm not sure exactly how it happened or how it all went down. But Kevin and our Dennis and I were playing, and we, we went into Kevin's backyard or something, and the ball that we were playing with went into the bushes and into the flower garden. And I don't know who started it, but one of us, when we walked over to get the ball, either kicked or pulled at some of the flowers, and they kind of went up in the air. And then the next one of us, we did the exact same thing. 
And instead of playing a game in the backyard, we started just playing in the garden. And by the time we were done, before we'd known it, we had really destroyed and ripped up the entire garden. Now here's what happened. I don't know how to this day, but somehow Kevin's parents knew it was us. I don't know if they were sitting in their house uh, watching us, or if they had some 1980s version of Ring.com, I don't know how they knew it was us. But they knew it was us, and so when, when, after we finished this whole thing, I remember their, Kevin's parents came to Dennis's parents and my parents and said, your kids destroyed our garden. And you know what the, the worst part about that is? And it's the worst part about any time we, we violate a relationship with somebody else is it's not so much the flowers, because flowers can be replaced. We can go get new flowers. That's not the big problem here. The big problem is the loss of relationship, isn't it? Because think, in something simple like this, think about all the relationships that are violated and broken over this incident. My relationship with my good friend Dennis is now broken. Because I, I don't remember exactly what happened, but I guarantee you Dennis and I weren't allowed to hang out for a few weeks. So my relationship with my best friend in class is now, is now broken. Our relationship with our parents is now broken because our parents don't trust us. My parents' relationship with Dennis's parents is now broken because they're kind of wondering, well, where were the parents when we were in the backyard destroying all the flowers? And certainly my parents' and Dennis's parents' relationship with Kevin's parents is now broken because Kevin's parents have this perception about our families and how they raise their kids uh, that, that may or may not be true, but the perception is there. And certainly my relationship and Dennis's relationship with Kevin's parents is broken, and our relationship with Kevin is broken, our classmate, because we've now done this to his family's home. And all of those relationships are now damaged and broken over this one event. And isn't that exactly how it works in our lives too? When somebody does something to us or when we do something to somebody else, relationships get broken immediately. Our marriages get broken. Our family relationships get broken. Our friendships are broken. Our coworker relationships are broken. Relationships with our neighbors are broken. And it's not so much the act itself, because many times that can be undone. You can fix something, but relationship is broken, and that's much harder to put back together. You know, when God created this world, when he put it all into place, he started with a garden. And when he created that garden, we're not going to read it all today, but if you want to flip back to the beginning of the book and read Genesis 1 through Genesis 3, when God created that garden, he created it perfectly. And all of the relationships were perfect. God put people into the garden, put Adam and Eve into the garden. And Adam and Eve's relationship with the creation around them was perfect. Adam and Eve's relationship with one another was perfect. And Adam and Eve's relationship with God was perfect. And God said to them, he says to you and to me, there are certain things I want you to do, and there are certain things that I don't want you to do. And as long as you listen to me and obey my law, all of these relationships between you and the world around you, between one another, and between you and me, will remain 
strong. But the second we do what God says not to do, or the second we, we do the things that, or the second we don't do the things that God says to do, all of those relationships are broken. You talk about sin, and you read that word in the Bible. When God created the world exactly the way it was supposed to be, there's a Hebrew word that describes it perfectly, and the word is shalom. Many times we just translate that word peace, but the word has a greater depth of meaning than that. It's not just peace. It is complete and perfect unity and harmony. Everything in perfect relationship with one another. And that is exactly how God created the world. And every time we sin, we violate Shalom. It's not just that we ripped up the garden and destroyed the flowers. It's the broken relationships that take place. The second we begin to sin, our relationship with the world God created is broken. Our relationship with one another is broken. And our relationship, certainly with the God who put it all in place, becomes broken. And we sense this, don't we? All of these things that we see happening in the world around us, whether it's violence or political unrest, or natural disasters, or health issues, or problems in homes and in marriages. It is all a result of the fact that you and I have sinned, violated what God said to do. It's not a happy message, and we don't talk that much about sin in the church the way we used to. A couple generations ago, I probably would have had a pulpit that was way up here, and I would have had a little staircase so that I could really get up on top of you as the congregation, and then I could look down at you, and I could point my finger, and I could tell you just how bad you are. We don't do that anymore in church. We lower the platform, and we create a nicer space so that we can talk about God's love and His grace and His mercy, and God is all of those things, but what we may, may unintentionally be doing is not taking sin as seriously as we should. God has told us to do certain things, not to do certain things. And when we disobey, it breaks relationship. And all of us are guilty. The litmus test of whether or not we are doing what God has asked us to do are the Ten Commandments. And we're not going to read through them all right now. If you want to go back to the Bible and read through the Ten Commandments or just Google them and read through them, i got to tell you, we are all over ten. And you might say to me, well, I've never murdered anyone. And that's, that's great. I'm glad to hear that. But Jesus, when he was on this earth, he said to us, he said, you've heard it said, do not commit murder. But I tell you, if you've ever had hatred in your heart towards somebody else, it's just like you've committed murder. And Jesus, when he was on this earth, he took our excuses away just to reveal to us how much we violated what God has said to do. And it's a serious offense, so serious that it's broken relationship between us and the world, us and one another, and us and God. And there is nothing you and I can do to fix it. It feels like there should be. It feels like I should be able to bend this back into place. But I can't. There's too many parts and too many components, and there's no way I can do it on my own. 
And it feels like we should be able to fix this world, doesn't it? It feels like on our own strength and on our own power, we should be able to grab the pieces and glue them all back together so that there's no inequality and no injustice, and so that our relationship with the environment is perfect, and our relationship with one another is perfect, and our relationship with God is perfect. It feels like we can do enough. In fact, many of us, we treat our relationship with God kind of like we treat our 401ks or retirement plans. We think if we just continue to bank things in the future, that one day we'll be able to benefit from it. So just like we would put money into a retirement plan so that one day we can hopefully retire and not have to work, we do good things to try to fix all the bad things that we've done. We do good things to try to make up for all the broken relationships, and we hope we're banking enough good deeds with God in heaven that when we get there, God's going to look at our accounts and say, wow, look at all these great things you've done. Come on in. But it doesn't work that way. We will never be able to do enough good to undo the sin that we've done. The relationship is broken. We can't fix it on our own. So how then does this start to get fixed? How then are we able to fix this relationship? What do we do? If we are in this situation where we know something is wrong in this world, it's not the way it's supposed to be, and then there's nothing we can do under our own strength to fix it. This is where Paul comes in, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 19, and you've been holding your finger there so patiently. Let's look at it together. Colossians chapter 1, verse 19. Listen to what Paul says about the person of Jesus Christ. For in him, that's Jesus, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And Paul comes in and says, listen, you know how you know that things are not right in the world? There's broken relationship between you and the world around you, between you and other people, and most importantly, between you and God. Well, here's what God did. God loved you enough that he sent Jesus Christ down to this earth to do what you and I cannot do on our own. In fact, all of those laws that you and I break, Jesus kept perfectly. He is the only one who did exactly what God said to do and did not do what God says not to do. And then what he did is he took our punishment upon us, upon himself. He took our punishment, with it, which is death, not just here in this world, but for all eternity on himself on the cross. And so Paul says, Jesus comes and he begins to reconcile all things to himself. And how does he do it? He does it through the cross because he takes his, our punishment on himself and when he raises again from the dead, he proves victory over death. And that begins to heal the relationship. There is something totally different, isn't there, between punishment and restoring relationships. If someone committed a crime against you, they may go through the court system and receive a punishment. So let's say that they stole something that is yours and they were prosecuted for it and you were upset because they had violated your space. And so when the judge comes down with a sentence, you are somehow pleased because they received a punishment for what they've done. And maybe they serve that punishment, but do you know what that does not do? It maybe makes them pay for the wrong they've done, but it does not restore the relationship that's been violated. 
That's a different process. The relationship between you and that person is still broken, even if they get punished. You may feel better, but your relationship with them is broken. And so you and I receive the impact and the consequence of sin. But that does not heal the relationship between us and God. We need something else for that to take place. And that is who Jesus Christ is. He is the reconciler. He is the one who restores relationship. And he does it in two ways. He does it immediately, and he does it in the end. He does it right now, and he's going to do it in the future. Paul talks to us in the next couple of verses about what Jesus does right now for you and for me. Look at what he says here in verse 21. And you, this is you and me and everyone who has ever made the decision to follow Jesus Christ. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and in which I, Paul, became a minister. And Paul says, listen, there is a work that God wants to do in your heart right now. And for those of you who have made the decision to follow Jesus Christ with your life, this is the work that has begun in your heart, that immediately when we make the decision to repent, to say we're sorry of the wrong that we have done, and to begin to follow God with our lives, to begin to trust in Jesus Christ, God immediately, through Christ, begins to restore the relationship between us and Him. So that relationship now that was once broken because we violated God's law is now healed through His grace and mercy through Jesus Christ. So not only do I have a relationship with God here and now, and I can hear from Him and speak to Him and enjoy His presence and be strengthened by His Spirit, but I know that one day I will have a relationship with Him for eternity. That is the work that Jesus Christ does immediately, reconciling us to God. But there is also a work that he does ultimately, where he takes this world that is broken beyond repair, a world that you and I can't fix no matter how hard we try. And one day, Jesus will come, and he will make it all it is the great hope of anyone who says they follow Jesus Christ with their life that there will be a day that Jesus will come and he will make all things new, that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. In fact, if you were to flip to the end of the book and you were to look at the verses where Jesus comes back again, the part of the story that has yet to be written and experienced, Jesus comes and he says these very words to us. He says, Behold, I am making all things new. And there's this promise that Jesus begins a work of reconciliation the moment we put our trust in him, and it is a work that continues until he comes back and permanently restores and makes everything new. I don't remember what punishment I got for living out the garden. I, I guarantee you I got punished. I'm 100% sure of that. 
But I don't remember what it was. I'll tell you what I do remember. I remember walking up the staircase of Kevin's parents' home. I remember having them come to the door, and I remember being five, six, seven years old, whatever it was, and having to look at them and tell them I did it and I was sorry. That I remember. It's the only way to restore relationship is to come back to somebody and say, I did it and I'm sorry. And it's the same way with God. We feel like under our own strength and power, even though we know this world is broken, if we just try hard enough and think hard enough and learn enough, we can put it all back together. This summer, our family went to the Kennedy Space Center. My son Jackson got this little model space shuttle, the Atlantis space shuttle. And it wasn't made to fly. It was made to be a model. But when we got home, he wasn't really clear on that. And so he wanted to see it fly. And so he, he made it fly. And what happened was it dented the floor and smashed into a bunch of pieces. And he brought the pieces to me. And it was innocent enough. He wasn't trying to be destructive. He brought it to me and he said, Dad, can we glue it back together? And I said, I'll give it my best shot. But I knew the second he touched it, it was going to fall back apart. It didn't matter what kind of crazy glue I used. This was broken beyond repair. And so we put together as many pieces as we could. But sure enough, eventually the wing fell back off and the tail fin fell back off. There was no way to make it whole under our strength. It had to be made. And there's no way that we can fix this whole world. We can't piece it back together. We can't do it on our own strength. What we need is a God who loves us enough, who says, I will do the work. You, I built the world. You violated it. But I will do the work of restoring relationship with you and of restoring the world that you violated. And that is a good God. And it's so easy to hear the message of you did something wrong and you're the sinner and that may be true but don't miss the message that there is a God who created it all and who knows you and who loves you who offers you salvation through his son. And that is the message that if you come to understand that if you would come back to God and you would say I did it and I'm sorry that Jesus Christ would begin a work of reconciliation and restoration in your life that you cannot accomplish on your own. And that as you begin in this, Jesus will restore the relationship between you and him and God. He will begin to restore relationships between you and the people around you. And ultimately, he will restore this earth and you will be a part of it. That is good And so I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward. I'm going to invite you, if you would, just to bow your head and close your eyes with me for a moment. Think with me about this. You may be here this morning. And all of this is beginning to make sense for the first time. Would you come before the God who created you and who loves you and who sent his son for you today and say to him, 
God, I did it. I sinned. I did what was wrong. And I'm sorry. If you will, God will heal and restore the relationship between you and him through Jesus Christ. He offers you life, not just here and now, but life eternal. Our sin is great, but God's grace is greater. So maybe you're here for the very first time today and you say, I want that relationship. I'm just going to ask you, just so I can pray for you, I'm not going to ask you to stand, I'm not going to ask you to do anything crazy, but just between you and God this morning, if that is you, no one looking around but you saying, I want to begin this relationship today, I want restoration today, I want reconciliation through Jesus Christ today, would you be willing to raise your hand? See a few hands up this morning. This is the greatest decision that you can make to begin relationship with Jesus Christ and with God, to walk with Him. If that's you this morning, I'd invite you in your own heart to speak to God, to pray, to say, God, very simply, God, I have sinned. Done what is wrong. But I thank you for Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that he made on my behalf. I ask that you would forgive me. That you would come and take control of my life. If you would pray that prayer, today we begin a relationship that begins now and lasts for eternity. Some of us here prayed that prayer a long time ago, but there are still things in our world and in our lives that are broken. There is sin that we are dealing with, that we are, are, are continuing to battle with, and we need God to come and to help us rid ourselves of that sin, those actions that we know God doesn't want us to do, that we find ourselves doing. Some of us need God to do a reconciling work in our marriages and in our homes. We need God to do a reconciling work in our relationships because we have tried and we can't piece these things back together on our own. And we need God to come and do what we cannot do on our own. And if that's you this morning, I'm going to pray and then I'm going to ask us to stand and I'm going to invite you to come. And to either stand in the front of this room or to kneel at these altars and we will pray with you. Whether you want to tell us what's going on or you want to keep that between you and God, we'll lay a hand on your shoulder and pray with you that God would do the reconciling work in your life that needs to be done. God, we thank you for your goodness to us that even though we are the ones who violated the deal, we are the ones who sinned, we are the ones who broke relationship, God, your love and your grace and your mercy is so much greater and that you offer reconciliation through Jesus Christ. God, thank you for Jesus who is the one who restores the relationships we cannot restore on our own. And so God, this morning, do the work that only you can do. Forgive us, restore us, redeem us, we pray in Jesus' name. Hey, thanks again for listening to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location. 
At Mount Hope, we gather in Belmont every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 10.45 a.m. and in Burlington at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Each week that we gather, we do so to learn more about God, grow in our love of Him and others, and then we go to live lives driven by faith. If you live in the Burlington or Belmont, Massachusetts areas, we'd love for you to join us on a Sunday. You can learn more about us by visiting our website at mounthope.org, M-O-U-N-T-H-O-P-E dot O-R-G, or follow us on Twitter or Instagram at mthopebelmont. Thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to having you listen again next week.